Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. We're excited about you joining us today. Don't you just love a rescue story? A hero who saves the day, a damsel in distress, who is saved from the clutches of evil. And don't we all love a rescue story? You know, think of it, I mean, even on our, on our big screens, superhero movies win the very day. Here's what I want you to do. You ready? Maybe even in the comments on our stream. Who is your favorite superhero? Right? On the count of three, I want you loud and proud in your house to celebrate out loud who your favorite superhero on the planet is, okay? Now, if you're by yourself, I want you to be so loud. Let your neighbor hear you. And on the count of three, shout out your favorite superhero. You ready? One, two, three. All right, now listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm gravitating towards a little bit of Wakanda, right? And I'm loving the Black Panther nowadays. We've watched uh, that movie several times. Man, no matter who your favorite superhero is, the truth is, is we all love a rescue story. In fact, on this day, we face a foe that we don't know much about, a virus that has invoked fear into our community and has upset the normal the world over. The world really awaits a rescue story. We look to the medical community for vaccines, viral medication. We look for a victory, a cure. The only thing stronger than COVID-19 is the collective effort of the world to bring this adversarial virus to its end. But cure this virus, and the body still dies one day. Is there a rescue story that lasts longer than just this moment? As I mentioned this last week, there is an affection far more insidious, a disease far more deadly, a virus far more venomous, a pandemic far more powerful than COVID-19. Its name is sin. COVID-19 may sicken the body and in rare cases even kill the body, but it cannot kill the soul, whereas sin can both destroy both the body and soul. But hear me, church, there is a rescue story that has already unfolded. Its plot is not hidden. The scenes are already played out for the world to see. Oh, a rescue story far greater in its gravity than even Marvel or DC Comics could fathom. In fact, did you know that in 2019, Superhero movies alone grossed more than $3.2 billion at the box office. But the rescue story I speak of is far more valuable. In fact, it is priceless. It is a story whose beginning was not in the imagination of man, but in the infinite wisdom and love of God. The story's origins did not begin with a team of created mi creative minds, but with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the minds and the imaginations of all people as well. Really, it's my rescue story. It's your rescue story. 
Because of Jesus, we are a rescued people in a broken world. This is never more apparent than the events, the tragic, the treacherous, the terrible, the torturous events surrounding that very first Easter. For at a time, for at the very same time, that which was tragic, treacherous, terrible, and torturous was used by God to bring about our redemption, our reconciliation, our restoration, our rescue story. Do you have a rescue story? Hey, hey, better yet, has Jesus rescued your story? Maybe today, are you in need of a rescue story? I, I don't know of a better time in all of my life and ministry than this day to remind us that Jesus is the only one who can really save the day, save your story, and save your very soul. You see, around the events of the cross of Christ and his resurrection lies the story of men and women who needed Jesus to rescue them, to rescue their stories, to rescue their souls. I think of one such man, one such story. His name all too familiar to anyone who's been on the church scene for any amount of time. His finest hour was nowhere near the cross of Jesus or Jesus' resurrection. His name is Peter. And this is Peter's rescue story. We begin at the Passover feast where the Jesus and the disciples sat around a table, and there they began what was normal each year during this period of time. There they took part in the Passover meal, which celebrated God rescuing his people from the hand, the slavery, the cruelty, the grasp of an enemy by the name of Pharaoh. At this feast, Peter seems to be a superhero in the making, if not only in his own mind. Watch this play out in scripture together. It says this in Matthew chapter 26, and I want to encourage you, man, open your Bible, open your Bible app, and let's read these scriptures together. The Bible says this, then Jesus told them while they're sitting there at the table celebrating the Passover meal, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Now in verse 33, Peter pipes up, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And watch what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let me just stop for a moment. Jesus has yet to be wrong up to this point in Peter's life and Peter's knowing of him. And by the way, Jesus will never be proven wrong. And yet Peter just doesn't quite get that yet. But Peter declared, and Jesus said this before, the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Hey, such strength, such undying, unwavering, unflinching support for Jesus. You know, I think of this Passover scene. You know, something that was part of Peter's life ever since he was a little boy. It was part of his faith, part of his family tradition. This feast was part of Peter's normal. Although Jesus had tried to tell him, Peter was convinced, 
as for others, that Jesus would be crowned king of the Jews, king of Jerusalem, and would be the great conqueror of Rome. And that Peter and the boys, they would be first in line for the best and most powerful position in Jesus' new administration. Peter was confident, strong, undying, unwavering, unflinching in his support for Jesus. That was until his normal was interrupted. Until his plans were changed by something far beyond his control. That was until his dreams were destroyed, his future plunged into uncertainty. That was until his life would never be the same again. Hey, by the way, church, sound familiar? Maybe just maybe that hits a little closer to home today than in time past. So here's what I want us to do for the next few minutes together. I want us to see the scenes of Peter's story play out. What does it look like over the next few moments after this feast took place? And here's scene number one. You ready? Scene number one, Peter is sleeping. You see, after the supper, Jesus ventured out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And watch this in verse 38. Then he said to them, Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And what happens as this scene plays out is Jesus would come back to Peter three different times. And Peter was sleeping. Right? Some superhero in the making. Peter was sleeping on the job. But remember his words. Even if I have to die, I will never disown you. Unless maybe I'm a little tired. And scene one is a pretty rough scene for Peter. Let's take a look for a moment at scene number two. You ready? We find Peter self-centered and scared. In Matthew chapter 26, it says this, but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. You see, Jesus was arrested in the garden where Peter napped. He was taken to the high priest Caiaphas for trial, and there he stood. John tells us that Peter is out in the courtyard near a charcoal fire while Jesus was in the courtroom of Caiaphas. And I stop for a moment and I think of Peter going from willing to fight for Jesus to now in this scene we see him following Jesus at a distance. And here's the truth, church. I'm afraid that many of us like Peter, we, we know how to talk the talk of faith at the dinner table even. But in reality, we are following Jesus at a distance too. Not willing to walk the walk of faith. You see, for Peter on this day, in this moment, Matthew 26, for him to walk beside Jesus, to stay with him in the courtroom, rather than to distance himself in the courtyard, it might have cost him his dreams. It would have cost him his plans, his comfort, his normal, maybe even his very life. But following Jesus at a distance for Peter, you see, Peter convinced himself it would be safer. Following Jesus at a distance would have been more secure. He might have been spared the stain 
of being a Jesus follower. You know, I just, I was overwhelmed with this question, studying this text. Are you following Jesus at a distance? Am I following Jesus at a distance? Am I choosing to stay out in the courtyard of life instead of right there with him in the courtroom of Caiaphas? Speaking of Caiaphas' home and the courtyard outside of his palace in Jerusalem, there's a church that's set up there nowadays on site, and it's called Galacantu. In the Latin, that means this, a cock's crow. And it's on the very side of Caiaphas' palace and the courtyard. Now, while I was preaching there some six months ago, and I want to show you some pictures. Maybe we could zoom in. This is what the church looks like there in the heart of Jerusalem. Now, there you go. You can see it really well right here. You know what that is? That is a golden form of a rooster. Galacantu, a cock's crow. There is the site of Caiaphas's palace. In fact, if you were to go into the underbelly of this church, you would find the pit in which Jesus was lowered into and held that night of his trials. It's unbelievable. In fact, let me show you this picture. This picture is of the actual courtyard there of Caiaphas' palace. And it would be at this very spot that I had a chance to preach and to address some pastors who were with me on the trip. And here's what I did is I stood there in that courtyard. I was overwhelmed for a moment. And I looked at those pastors who were with me, who knew very well that was my first time in Jerusalem. Here's what I said to them. I said, fellas, I've stood in this courtyard before. And you saw a little bit of confusion on their face. I said, guys, I've stood in this courtyard before with Peter. And the truth is, is so have you. Many times in my sin, my rebellion, my selfishness, I have stood in that very same courtyard, finding it far easier at supper time and at the dinner table to say, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Finding that far easier than living out the very words that I promised Jesus out in the courtyards of life. I've been there before. I've stood in that courtyard. And so have you, church. And this thought, these thoughts race through my mind. Am I willing to lay down my life, hand over my dreams, do away with my plans, care less about my comfort, in order to stop following Jesus at a distance and to follow him close wherever he leads. It's a tough scene in Peter's life. Here's scene number three. You ready? You go from Peter sleeping to Peter self-centered and scared, and now we find Peter swearing. Look what the Bible says here in Matthew 26, verse 74. Then he began to call down curses. Now let me set the scene. There Peter is in a courtyard warming himself up by a charcoal fire. A servant girl says, wait a second. You're, you're with the guy. You're with Jesus. 
Peter said, what are you talking about? I don't know the man. Another servant girl comes up to him and says, surely you are with him. He says, I don't know him. And then the people in the courtyard says, listen, we know you're with him, for your accent gives you away. And this is where we pick up and find Peter in verse 74, that he begins to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. As we were walking to Galicantu when I was in Jerusalem, I was, I was easily attentive to the fact that there are roosters crowing everywhere all the time. Not an unusual happening in Jerusalem. But you know what? I can imagine how it struck Peter's heart. In verse 75, so much so that Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And the Bible says that he went outside and he wept bitterly. You know, I can't help but think, church, I can't help but to think that there is a rooster crowing in so many of our lives. With our words, our behaviors, our sin, our selfishness, the rooster is crowing. And maybe for some of us, we've simply stopped hearing it. It's become so normal to us. We've just stopped paying any attention to it. Uh, Just a couple days ago, my wife, Erin, went out to just a, a small store just to look to see if there were any supplies we might need for the home. And, and of course, that store was swamped and shelves laid bare. And as she got out to pay for a few items that she had bought, she, she saw a man who seemed to be overworked, definitely underappreciated, a guy who was just overwhelmed by what we find that our, our grocery workers, our shopkeepers, listen, these guys are on the front lines of this pandemic, these unlikely heroes who are keeping the supply chain going. And as she began to talk to him, he shared the story of a lady who had come in, and even though the sign on the door said we had no toilet paper, she looked for it, he told them where they keep it, and there was still none there, and she cursed him. And he went on to tell my wife, yeah, you know, we have people coming in here saying, oh, my Jesus is going to, Help us get through this in one breath, and in the next breath, they curse us for not having stuff. And here's what the man said to Aaron. I don't want any part of that, Jesus. Crushed her heart. You know, I think of Peter and even mine, our self-centeredness. I think of his swearing, his actions portrayed to those in the courtyard. And here's what he was saying, you ready? You don't want any part of this Jesus. You don't want any part of it. As we stand in the same courtyard, as Peter did at times in our lives, we might not say with our words, I don't, I don't know him. But by the very way we live out our lives, we scream it. Maybe the sin that we so love and champion in our lives. The rebellion we try to justify to appease our consciousness. The selfishness that supersedes Jesus and others in our own lives. And I want you to hear me, church. A life lived by and for yourself in the end brings nothing but sorrow, regret, and guilt. And that is the story being played out in Peter's life in this scene of his story. Now imagine with me verse 75. 
Imagine with me the thoughts going through Peter's mind after the rooster crowed. Imagine the text thread that might exist, what it might have looked like between Peter and the other disciples who had denied, disowned, and deserted Jesus in his darkest hours, in the roughest chapters of his life. None of his guys stayed around to be part of his story. Can you imagine the text thread? Peter shooting out a, guys, I'm devastated. Maybe a later text would simply say, I'm disqualified. Maybe on into the story, Peter would have texted out, I'm done. Have you ever been there? Surely God was done with Peter. A man who denied, disowned, and deserted his son. A man who fell asleep on the job, showed himself to be self-centered and scared at times, and even swearing that he didn't know Jesus. Surely Peter was done. And then I remember that time in my life I thought the very same thing. Surely God was done with me too. You know what Peter needs? You know what the Peter in you and me, you know what that Peter needs? He needs a, a rescue story. And you and I need a rescue story too. Take a look at our screen. Hi, my name is Hannah Axley, and this is my rescue story. My story really begins when I was a freshman at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I had completed just about four months of courses and classwork and I kind of knew that something was wrong, something just seemed a little off. So I had my roommate's aunt bring me a medical grade pregnancy test and it confirmed what was then one of my biggest fears. I was having a baby with my ex-boyfriend from high school. His name was Caleb. Um, and when I went to tell him the news, he was as in disbelief as I was. He said, well, you're adopted. You should just give the baby up for adoption. It would be a really sweet story. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I didn't want to do that. I knew that. And then he said, well, you could get an abortion. And then that really hit me. I'm like, no, we, we did this together. And now I'm going to be the one that has to deal with the consequences. I didn't want to do it by myself. I felt very alone. I knew that the things that he was saying came out of fear, and I knew I was scared, but I couldn't run anywhere. He did not want to be a part. He told me that. He made that very clear from the beginning. And I decided around four months of being pregnant that I was going to do this by myself, and I cut him off completely. I didn't even tell my dad. I barely told my mom. She was going to bed one night, and I said, I have to tell you something. I can't, I can't wait any longer. I knew I was going to start the show. So I told her, she hugged me and she said, I love you 
and you'll always be my baby and we'll talk about it in the morning and I said okay and I'll never forget that because that was one of the best moments of my life was having her support there and not making a big deal about it I couldn't tell my dad I just felt like such a big disappointment I did not want to tell him my mom ended up telling him for me while I was at school and he called me and he was like you know sis I love you no matter what but I wish you would have told me and it was just a huge relief to know that they supported me through that when I started back at UT the following semester from taking off with Avery I got called into the advisor's office for the Haslam College of Business and he said there's a scholarship available for single parents if you are interested and I said sure what what do I have to do and he said all you have to do is give me your name give me your permission you know we've kind of already filled everything out for you because we we knew you were trying to keep it private and it was in that moment that it really hurt me that I had come back to school as an invisible person someone who wasn't proud of themselves and proud of their baby and that really broke my heart as a mother I, I didn't want Avery to know that I wasn't proud of him because he was so special and so great and so I said that that was fine you could publish my name I was scared but they did it and that scholarship ended up changing my life it paid for the rest of my undergraduate degree and it paid for my master's in human resource management and it completely altered the course of our life. The happy ending is my getting to spend more time with my son because I know I missed out on a lot by going to school and working and just trying to be a good mom. Nobody knows what it's like and it's so easy to judge other people about it, but we all just, we're just trying to do our best. And now that I'm graduated, I have a good job. I'm trying to buy a house. I feel like all of the struggles that I went through are absolutely worth it. And they were worth it before. I knew it was all part of a greater plan, but it's now that I'm starting to really appreciate those times. I grew up in a very close, knit family. We were raised Church of God and my grandfather was the children's church pastor and I have only the best memories of church and growing up and being in that close-knit community and I knew I wanted that for my son so when Avery was first born it took me a long time to get back into church because I felt ashamed and I felt like I didn't belong. I bought a devotional, I did things at home, I did online things, but that's not helping Avery, you know. And so then Connect Church was founded. I didn't even know Anthony was a pastor. And we were sitting at soccer practice watching our kids play and he said, yeah, I'm actually going to be a pastor at that church across the street. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, yeah, you should come when we launch it. And I said, I will do that. And so we came that first Sunday and fell in love because it's such a community here, you know, and Avery loves it. I love to say that I take my son to church now 
and he constantly reminds me of things that he's learning here. Just last week he said, um, Miss Aaron told us that we should pray for those that hurt us. And I was like, yes, we should. That was a great reminder, thank you. Constantly bringing things up. I'm so proud of my son and I can't imagine my life without him. The thought of not having him here to grow with me because we grew to, we grew up together. I was 19. I'm now 26 with a seven-year-old. I see God's blessing and His mercy in Avery every single day, every single day. It's, it's incredible. And I just don't understand how people can say there is no God. Because I say, look at Avery. Look at what came from that, from a really bad situation, the greatest good, you know, the most pure innocence. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm, I'm proud of me too, that I didn't give up. Talk about a rescue story. I love, I love Hannah. I love Avery. I love their story. I love how Jesus rescued both of their stories. And here's what we find out about Jesus. You ready? That Jesus is not a dealer in guilt, but in grace. And Hannah's story, my story, even Peter's story is a story all about God's grace. Man, I'm so thankful for our, our pastor, Zach, who has done such an incredible job capturing some of the stories from the life of the people here at Connect Church. And really, every one of them, our rescue story, that he does such an incredible job sharing with all of us. Thank you, Hannah, for sharing your story. You see, Peter, his story was engulfed by guilt until Jesus grabbed hold of Peter by his grace. Understanding this about grace, you ready? It is Jesus giving to us that which we do not deserve. You see, Peter's disowning, his denying, his desertion of Jesus was not the end of his story. Why? Because Jesus' death and resurrection marked the beginning of Peter's rescue story. I stood on the shoreline of Galilee when I was in Israel. As I took my shoes off and I began to walk in the waters of the Sea of Galilee. I was reminded of what happened on that very shoreline in John chapter 21. And in fact, that's where we catch back up with Peter. Peter and the boys were back in Galilee just offshore about 100 yards and they were out there in the boat and they were fishing with their nets. Well, the fishing wasn't too good the night before and there they were that morning a little frustrated at the lack of fish in their nets, when all of a sudden, there on the shoreline, there stood a man. They didn't quite know who he was. The stranger asked about the fishing and encouraged the fishermen to take their nets and to throw them to the right side of their boat, and in doing so, quickly, their nets filled up. In fact, 153 fish was the count, and they were overwhelmed, and what happened there is every fisherman's dream, even this day. Their nets were completely full. Well, then all of a sudden, John, who was in the boats, recognized who the man on the shore was. 
And notice, it was the Lord, it was Jesus. And here's what I love, you ready? Instead of the guilt from the courtyard, keeping Peter in his boat, because Jesus dealt Peter grace, in his joy, Peter jumped out of the boat, not wanting to wait for the boat to come back to shore. He jumped into the water, and he ran to Jesus. You know, I believe that many believers, many of us, are allowing what we did in the courtyard of life to keep us in boats that are filled with guilt. And thus our guilt still has us following Jesus at a distance today. But by God's grace, in Christ we can repent, turn from our sin, and exchange our guilt for grace. Remember this, church. Be reminded of this, that Jesus is not a dealer in guilt, but he deals in grace. Here in John chapter 21, Peter's rescue story is realized. On the shore of Galilee, Peter is redeemed, he is reconciled, he is restored, he is rescued by Jesus. Maybe just maybe this morning, you need John 21. You need chapter 21 in your life. You need that moment or you, you jump outside boats filled with guilt and you run to the one who deals in grace. Talk about a rescue story. Jesus dealt me grace when all I knew was guilt. Jesus dealt me love when all I ever felt was alone. Jesus dealt me life when all that stared me down was death. Jesus dealt me forgiveness when I didn't know how to forgive myself. Jesus dealt me hope when the darkness seemed to have my attention. And Jesus dealt me salvation when my sin was killing me. Jesus is a dealer in grace, not guilt. That's Peter's rescue story. That's Hannah's rescue story. That's my rescue story. How about you? Do you have a rescue story? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.